bless the mothers on this Mother's Day. We bless the new moms, the adoptive moms, the not yet moms, the birth moms. We bless the moms who became moms by marriage. We bless the grandmoms. Our oldest son, Chris, his birthday is Cinco de Mayo, May the 5th. It always precedes Mother's Day. Chris turned, believe it or not, 25 this week. So we bless all the children born to mothers. I know many of you all are here today to bless your mom. It was 25 years ago this June that we began to pastor here. Debbie and I began our journey together, uh, pastoring this church. And this June, just after Unity Sunday, I began a six-week sabbatical to focus and write a book on healing and restoration with my friend Dan Green. Three of my four children will be here um, today for Mother's Day, God willing, Chris and Betsy and Josh. Jimmy's hoping to join us shortly from a week in college. He's just wrapping up his spring semester and finishing his last race. We hope to have Jimmy on board with us this summer as an intern. We bless the moms because moms are a blessing from God. Moms carry us into this world and then carry us in their hearts. How many of you here have a mom? Okay, I thought so. <laughs> Most of us, when we were, um, moms hold us when we were little, and then they hold us in their hearts. They kiss our boo-boos away. They tuck us into bed, reading us stories. They somehow keep their schedule in ours, which is amazing to me. They uh, show us compassion when we're hurt, and they patiently explain life to us, how it works. They protect us like a mother bear, and they love us with reckless abandon. Now, if you're a man, would you stand up? <laughs> We want to give honor to the women of our lives, give thanks to God for them. We bless them for kissing our boo-boos away, for tucking us, our little ones, into bed, reading stories, for keeping their schedule in ours, for showing us, most unworthy of this compassion, for explaining life to our children and to us at times, protecting our little ones like mother bears and loving us unsacrificially. Would you give them the honor they deserve? Thank you. Y'all let me see this. Thank you. We're in this uh, beautiful series in Colossians, the third chapter, the 10th verse. If you have a Bible, you can open up there. So I say to you this on, this on this Mother's Day, and you have put on this new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You have a brand new identity. The moment you believed, somebody new came into existence who never existed before. A brand new you. The old self died, and the new self, risen with Christ, bursted forth with new life. God gave birth to somebody who never lived before, who now is alive unto him. Having put off this old self, we're learning now there's a new self to put on. There's a new set of clothes to wear. Jesus wore these clothes beautifully. We're going to see his garments. We've heard about the robe of salvation. We're going to talk this morning about the garments God wants us to wear. There's actions commanded by our God and clothes we are to put on. We're being renewed. This change is happening from the inside out. 
We're being renewed in the knowledge of our God, that our God is compassionate, our God is kind, our God is humble, our God is gentle, and he's patient with us. We're putting on a new set of clothing. And then we learn that the walls have all been broken down. Christ broke the barriers. Here we see Greeks and Jews. Greeks had their language, and the Jews had Hebrew and Aramaic. They had their own language. They had their own cultures. The Greeks were considered outsiders. The Jews were considered insiders. There was religious barriers of circumcised, uncircumcised. Barbarian Scythians, the Scythians drunk um, from a skull cap. The barbarians didn't speak the language very well, the outsiders. There was economic barriers, slave or free, but Christ is all. Christ is preeminent, and Christ is in all. That is to say, he's broken down all the barriers, and now we can be one in Christ. This last Thursday was a manifestation of that unity of being one in Christ as the community gathered to pray, the National Day of Prayer. Now look with me, if you will, in Colossians 3 and verse 12, your new identity. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. There's three aspects there to your identity in Christ, that you are chosen, that you are holy, and that you are dearly loved. Let's begin with chosen. You have been chosen by God. God has always had you in his heart. Long before you were conceived, you were conceived in the mind of God. And long before you were placed in your mother's womb, you were placed in the very heart of God. God took an initiative and pursued you. God not only chose you, but he drew you to himself, making you his own precious child. You and God are in covenant relationship with one another, and God will never break covenant with you. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you, that you would bear fruit. Somebody said, if my life is fruitless, it doesn't matter who praises me. But if my, light, my, if my life is fruitful, it doesn't matter who criticizes me. God shows you that you would bear fruit. I remember being 10 years old, lining up on the football field behind my house, waiting to be chosen. I would often go very low in the draft picks because I wasn't very large. I wasn't massive. I was tall and thin. I wasn't very good rusher. I wasn't a very good blocker. But there came a day when Kerry Hockett, who would one day trial for the Redskins, chose his team, and he chose me first. He said to me, R, I want you on my team. Perhaps he saw something in me I did not see in myself. He saw some potential, and I felt so valued that Kerry would choose me of all those on the field to be on his team. Can you imagine what it means to God that he has chosen you? That God has set his affection on you. That God is in covenant relationship with you. You see, your identity is you are chosen by our God. And then you are holy. You are a saint. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Our God is holy. And you have been asked to live a holy life. And just as God is holy, he has called you to be holy and says, be holy because I am holy. The meaning of holy is to be set apart, to be a vessel set apart to God. Your identity is you are being sanctified, set apart to God. 
You are a vessel set apart for God's use. In my office is a blue coffee cup. It says on it, Pebble Beach. That coffee cup is set apart to me. If you try to drink from my cup, coffee cup, I will take it from you because it belongs to me. It is my cup. I have claimed it. In fact, it was a gift given to me. But it's a vessel being set apart for me that I may drink of that cup. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You are God's beloved. You, believe it or not, are dearly loved. You have been loved with a love which is beyond measure. Now, you may measure the ingredients in vegetable soup, but you will never measure the ingredients, the love that God has for you. For the love of God is measureless. And you have been loved by God without conditions. Now, the love of man is often with conditions. I'll love you if, or I'll love you until, or I'll love you because. But the love of God is an unconditional kind of love. And you have been loved with a love that will never fail you. Therefore, we trust in God's unfailing love. There has never been a time when God did not love you. There have been moments in your life, perhaps this moment, when you've been unaware of his love. There's been moments when you perhaps felt that God hated you. But God has always loved you. You may have hated yourself, or somebody may have hated you, but God has never hated you because God loves you. It is God's nature to love. You cannot do anything to make God love you more or love you less because God's love is not conditioned by your actions. Therefore, in light of this beautiful identity of being chosen and holy and dearly loved, God says, put on these five virtues. Clothe yourself with these five things. Clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility, and gentleness, and with patience. And these were the garments that Jesus wore. This is the wardrobe of the saints. These are the clothes that God wants you to put on. These are the garments that God wants you to wear. If you were to look in your own closet, there would be hangers there with clothes hanging on them, possibilities to put on. These are things that God wants you to put on. So what's in the saints' wardrobe? The first of them is compassion. This literally means bowels of mercy because it was in the intestine that emotion was felt. Compassion comes from understanding, from experience. A person who has been in a car accident and suffered injury can surely understand what someone who has recently been injured is feeling. A woman who has given birth can surely understand what it means to give birth to a child, what that person is feeling and adjusting to. In the ancient world, apart from Christianity, it was a merciless world. The sick were discarded. The elderly were put away. And then the Christians brought forth compassion. And someone said that the inspiration for hospitals, the taking care of the sick, came forth out of Christianity. And the homes for the aged, the nursing homes, came forth from Christianity of conveying honor and respect to all human beings made in the image of God. If you are new creations in Christ, you are called to compassion, to feel from within and be moved to action. Jesus 
is the great example of compassion. When he saw the widow at Nain, who had said goodbye to her husband and buried him, and then was burying her only son, his heart went out to her. And when he saw the vast multitude of people, like sheep without a shepherd, Jesus felt compassion for them. And when he told the parable of the father's heart, of a son who had squandered his inheritance like we all have, when the father saw the son, he felt compassion for his son. And when Jesus told his parable of the Good Samaritan, there was a man all beaten up and injured, left dead beside the road. And the religious type passed him by, but the Good Samaritan felt compassion for him. Many times it is that women serve to us as, as examples of compassion. One of them is Danielle Riggs. She lives in Spokane, Washington. She founded Christ Clinic in 1991 to fill a gap in the American health care system. When people without insurance get sick, they often cannot afford a trip to the doctor, and they will wait before they go to the ER before it gets really bad. But they can go to Christ Clinic for $20 or less. Their symptoms can be diagnosed. People can receive treatment before the problem becomes more serious. Danielle herself is a nurse practitioner with slightly gray hair, cropped hair. And she says, we can demonstrate God's love through this clinic. And oftentimes, after the patient has been treated, Danielle will put her arm around them and pray for them. There is Barb Wooler. Barb Wooler is a friend of ours, and she lived most of her adult life in the Central African Republic. It was there she saw children without parents, many of their parents dying from HIV-AIDS. These children were taken in by relatives, but the relatives didn't have money to clothe them or give them medical attention or educate them or feed them. And so she organized these hand-in-hand orphan schools and were involved with one in Ngamutu just outside of um, um, Central African Republic. And so what happens there is these precious little kids come every day and they receive their poto-poto, which is oatmeal porridge. And they're clothed with their uniform and they receive instruction from godly Christian teachers and they're learning their right from their left. They're learning right from wrong. They're learning how to live their lives for God. And then there is Hope Alive. Sue Omig launched Hope Alive, a nonprofit ministry in in 2002 up in Sibyllisville. Do you know there's homeless people living right here in Frederick County, living out in the woods, living in cars, living with their boyfriends, living in very unsafe conditions. This year, Sue Omig and uh, this ministry, Hope Alive, provided 500 beds so women and their children would have a place to go. And then there is Kathleen. Hearing about the plight of the children down in Haiti, Kathleen left the comforts of her home traveling down to a village just outside of Port-au-Prince in November of 2009. Then there was 400 children living in that village. After the earthquake of January 12th, there now is 3,000. And last weekend, there was a, um, a dodgeball tournament, uh, saving Haiti one welt at a time. And the purpose was to bring awareness and funds for the children of Haiti. And $11,000 was raised and will fund the clothing, the food for these precious little kids. And you have taken into your hearts 50 of them to sponsor. Compassion is such a beautiful quality. It's a quality we saw in Jesus, how he lived his life 
I see that quality in your lives. The second garment to put on is that of kindness. Kindness does not come naturally to us. We're very accustomed to people being unkind. George Bernard Shaw, do you know who that is, the playwright? He one time sent tickets to Winston Churchill, then the prime minister. He sent the tickets to him, two tickets for opening night. And he said, Winston, I'm sending you two tickets. You can come yourself and you can bring a friend if you have one. Winston Churchill wrote back and said, I cannot come on opening night. I have a previous engagement. Send me the tickets to another night if you have one. We're used to unkindness flowing back and forth. But kindness is a lovely word expressing a lovely action of putting God's love into action. I can tell you right now that my wife Debbie is kinder than I am. It's Debbie who invites the kids over to the house. I say to her when I see them, where did all these kids come from? And she says, I invited them. It's Debbie who makes sure they have something to eat. She'll say something like, let's put a pizza in the oven for these kids. And I say, don't they have homes to go to? Aren't they going to be leaving soon? It's Debbie who makes sure that when the kids come over, there's little green uh, fingerprints on the wall. It's actually a tradition in our house. If your kids come over, we'll put their handprints up on the wall. It's because the kindness of God flows through her. The kindness of God flows through you too. And then there's humility. Humility is not thinking of yourself as lesser. It's not thinking of yourself as inferior. It's just thinking of yourself less. Humility. To clothe yourself with humility. Humility, we think about Jesus leaving heaven and coming down to earth with his humility. We think about Jesus in that upper room. And that all the disciples came into that place. And there they saw the place of the servant. There was a towel, there was a basin, there was a pitcher. And each one of those people, the disciples, passed beside an opportunity to serve. And him who deserved to be served stooped down, taking off his outer garment, wrapping a towel around his waist. And he began to serve with humility. And he left a lesson that would never be forgotten, that we're called not to be served, but to serve with humility. To empty ourselves of our pride and be filled with the Spirit of God. And when that Spirit of God fills us, there's a willingness to serve. Not bringing recognition to ourselves, but meeting people's needs. And this is a beautiful spirit in our church, a spirit of humility. And then there is gentleness. That's some clothing to put on also. That's the word meekness. Now understand that meekness is not weakness. Meekness is God's strength under God's control. Gentleness was a word used of bringing refreshment to someone who was thirsty. Of a breeze that brought refreshment to those persons who were hot. Of a soothing salve that brought relief. Of a gentle word that brought encouragement, a gentle soul. This gentle soul, which is precious in the sight of God. This gentleness being worked in your soul. You see, the word gentleness is related to the word brokenness. When a person becomes broken, now they become fit for the master's use. Think about a wild mare, a wild stallion. And then that 
wildness must be broken to be brought under the master's control, to become gentle. And when a person's becoming gentle, now they're becoming usable, fit for the master's use. You yourself are a gentle breeze. You are like medicine to the soul, for you are gentle. Jesus Christ was gentle. A bruised bruised reed he would not break. A flickering candle he would not snuff out. He said, I am humble and gentle at the level of my heart. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit that God is working into us. And then there is patience. Patience is the word long-suffering. The final garment we're to put on is that of patience. Long-suffering in the face of injury or of insult. Whereas endurance has to do with persevering with difficult people, patience is another word for fortitude. We understand patience this time, you know, around Mother's Day, Because we plant. We begin to plant again our gardens. And a garden calls for patience. There is a time to plant the seed. There's a time to water. There's a time to tend to the seed, to pull the weeds. A time to wait. And a time to harvest. Those who wait on the Lord, Isaiah said, will renew their strength. To wait patiently. To look expectantly. A patient person is not pushing A patient person is not rushing. They're learning to be patient. I saw a mother over at Baker's Park on Friday evening. They're outside the porta potty with their three kids patiently waiting. And then I see mothers on the sidelines of the games patiently waiting. The coach is giving his final words. Now, a word to you coaches, a word to you men. The word the kids will listen to least is after the game. But sometimes the speech is longest after the game. So look on the sidelines sometimes and see the mothers patiently waiting over there. And I see the mothers in the doctor's office patiently waiting for their kids' appointment. Debbie's mother used to say, patience is a virtue. Catch it if you can. Rarely found in women, but never found in men. (laughs) Patience. Learning to be patient. And then he says, bear with each other. Making allowances for one another. Giving each other some room. Not allowing personality differences to drive you crazy. Forty years ago, it was possible to smoke on an airplane. The rule was that you checked with the passengers beside you to see if it was okay. So on this flight, a man lit up his cigar. And the stewardess, being very kind, said, have you asked permission of those beside you as to whether you can light up? And the person beside him said, I detest cigars. So she went to the front of the cabin to find another passenger who would be willing to take her seat. And so as they were walking in the aisle of the cabin, exchanging places, the man from the front, the woman beside him, the woman had this conversation with the stewardess. She said, I've been married to this man for 30 years. And I've never liked his cigars. What do you have to put up with? What does bearing with mean to you? Some of you have men who are meticulously neat. Some of them really don't know where the clothes hamper is. Some of these men are keeping you well informed. Some of them don't even know your number. Some of them dress very, very well. And some of them need to watch 
what not to wear. What to wear? What to what not to wear? Some of these men spend the weekend with you. Some of them go golfing or fishing or playing cards. It wouldn't surprise me if you have something to put up with. The Bible says bearing with one another. And then to forgive whatever grievances you may have against each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. The fact is, we have grievances. Some of your grievances may go back to childhood. A critical mother who gave to you a critical spirit. A grievance that goes back to adolescence. A boyfriend, a boyfriend who pushed himself too hard on you. A grievance that goes to your young adult life. A husband who wounded you. Grievances get lodged in the heart. And we long for the person who has hurt us to understand how deeply they have wounded us, that they have truly wounded our heart. We long for them to understand the nature of their offense, their injury, their insult. We long for them to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Don't you long for that, my sisters in Christ, for somebody to say, I was wrong, I am sorry, will you please forgive me? But the vast majority of us who've been hurt in the past will never hear the words from the lips of the offender, will you forgive me? They won't acknowledge they did something wrong. That makes forgiveness harder because you believe they got away with something. But think about the kindness of God. Think about the patience of God. Think about for a moment the forgiveness of God. When God forgave you, he forgave you fully and freely. And the command of God is, whatever grievances there are, forgive, which means to release, to no longer hold on to that hurt, to no longer hold on to that anger, to no longer replay that offense over and over in your mind, building resentment, to not let bitterness grow inside your heart. God is saying to you to forgive whatever grievances that may be in your heart. Forgive the person from the heart. Jesus told this parable. There was a king, and the king began to settle up his accounts. And there was a man who owed the king a vast sum, a great debt, millions and millions of dollars. So when the king settled his account, the man got down on his knees, begging him to have mercy, begging him to have more time. And the king felt pity inside of his heart, and he said, I release you of your debt. I forgive you. When the man was forgiven, he was forgiven freely and fully for all of his offenses toward the king. But there was another man who was owed by this servant. He owed him just three months' wage. And when the man was forgiven by the king, he went and found that servant. And he said, pay me what you owe me. And the man began begging him for mercy. Give me more time. I'll pay you back. Now, while it may have been in his power to pay him back, what he did was he began to choke him by the neck. He showed him absolutely no mercy. You see, mercy is not giving somebody what they deserve. And grace is giving somebody what they don't deserve. You didn't deserve the forgiveness of God. 
But God extended his forgiveness to you. And now the command of God is this, that you forgive whatever grievances you may be holding inside your heart. I encourage you, sometime you can just be quiet and still, to come into the very presence of God. And let yourself just feel his presence. And ask the Holy Spirit of God to illumine to you where the hurt inside your heart is, where the wounds really are. Let him surface where those offenses are and begin one by one to forgive those people who have offended you. Sometimes it is a mom or a dad or a brother or sister or a husband or wife. Where the pain is the deepest, the pain will surface. And God will only bring that to your attention in order to heal you of that memory. There was a woman, her name was Cory Timboom. She lived over in Holland. She was um, taking care of Jews during the Holocaust. And when she was um, taking care of these Jews and hiding them, her family was arrested, her mother, father, her sister, Betsy, herself. And they were taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp. And it was there they were, they were in prison for three years. On the third day before the end of 1944, Corey's sister, Betsy, died. And then Corey was released on December the 31st, 1944. She went out to preach a message of reconciliation and forgiveness. And she would say often, I'm still learning how to forgive. Would you say the same? I'm still learning how to forgive, how to forgive my brother from the heart. And there in one of the churches, she was speaking in the basement. There was a man, and he was a prison guard in Ravensbrück concentration camp. And the man did not remember her, but she remembered him. It was before him that she took off her clothing, and she remembered that pile of clothes and shoes in the middle of the room as she walked toward her shower. It was this man who had spoken cruelly to her and to her sister, and now her sister had died. And the man said, I became a Christian, and I know God has forgiven me. But he extended his hand, he says, but I want to hear from your lips that you forgive me as well. Betsy, in that very moment, Corey, in that very moment, had a huge decision to make of whether she would be in bondage to her bitterness or find the freedom of forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is setting the captive free then understanding that you were the captive. You were held captive by your own hurt, by your own anger, by your own resentment, and God wants to set the captive free. And Corey, in that very moment, she said, Jesus, help me. Help me to forgive this man who's done so much wrong against me. And she said, brother, from my heart, I forgive you. She said, I've never felt closer to God in my entire life than when I forgave the man who did all that wrong. Do you understand the importance of what I'm saying on this Mother's Day? To forgive whatever grievances you may have. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. No matter how many times the person may sin against you, that's how many times we're called to forgive. And to the degree that God has forgiven us, we're to extend that same forgiveness to one another. The person you're about to forgive does not deserve your forgiveness. They deserve justice. But forgiveness is extending grace to somebody who does not deserve it. Every moment of your life, 
is a moment to give love or withhold love, to extend grace or withhold grace. And I am sure the Spirit of God is bringing someone to your awareness now you need to extend this grace to. And after it's all been said and done, put on love, the highest of all the virtues. You see, when this love is flowing through your heart, it's like a mighty river. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. It's a flowing stream. This is a virtue that holds all the other virtues together. Because when a person is loving, they're showing themselves to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, manifesting his compassion, showing forth his kindness, exhibiting his humility, being patient and gentle, bearing with difficult people, and forgiving people from the heart. I'm going to invite our dancers to come now. We have some little dancers, and they're going to um, be doing a song. It's taken from Colossians, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15, the peace of Christ. And it's about the little ones and being invested in by the bigger ones, the older ones taking care of the little ones. And so it's all about motherhood and what mothers really do of taking care of their precious little guys. So you come now. <laughs> 